If you ask about it, if you Google, you'll always find all these touristic pictures and touristic offers. And it feels like, oh, let me just go and chill. But it's complicated. Actually, the, the situation in the civil society in Egypt is getting worse and worse and worse. Die Kulturmittler, der IFA-Podcast zu Außenkulturpolitik. Hallo und willkommen zu today's episode of IFA's Podcast, die Kulturmittler, the title of which can roughly be translated as the cultural conciliators. My name is Dan Wesker. Trans Awareness Week runs from the 13th to the 19th of November every year. And we are in dire need of that awareness. Internationally, trans people and other members of the LGBTQIA community and their allies are a lot more likely to experience violence, poverty and discrimination. Because of this, they are often facing the fact that they can't access other resources connected to basic human rights, such as housing, health, work, education and participation. That's where civil society organizations, NGOs and activists start their work, especially in countries such as Pakistan or Egypt, where life is tough for LGBTQIA plus people. We'll be using the acronym LGBTQIA plus quite a bit in this episode. It stands for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, Queer, Intersex, Asexual, with the plus making sure that every other individual that feels part of the queer community is included in this concept. My guest today is an Egyptian LGBTQIA plus activist, As our guest doesn't identify with a specific gender, their personal pronoun is they, them. To make sure they are safe, we won't use their actual name, but their chosen alias, Bonobo. Bonobo will explain more about the situation of the LGBTQIA plus community in their country, and they'll lay out the change we need to see. But first of all, they told me a little bit about their story. I was part of the civil society back in Cairo. I was also part of the revolution. I started doing work around minorities in general. And then with the years and with the progress of the situation in Egypt, I had to leave because I was badly harassed by the state security, myself and probably other millions of Egyptians and few hundreds of non-Egyptians. So th that is uh, basically my situation in the moment. And then I'm based here now for two years and I'm trying to reclaim a life here, hopefully. It's, of course, it's not the easiest as well. It has a lot of challenges, but uh, it's absolutely an opportunity that I'm grateful for. For the past years, Bonobo has been fighting for the rights of LGBTQIA plus people in Egypt. We want to take a closer look at the example of homosexuality. Though homosexuality is not technically illegal, members of the LGBTQIA plus community keep being arrested. I asked Bonobo to explain this situation to me. 
it's very complicated the situation in Egypt and it was like this for like long decades it's not like something recent the Egyptian law does not criminalize homosexuality by any means yet the the government and the police and everyone who've got this uh, power and authority including the society of course and uh, I mean now minds are changing a little bit but the majority of uh, people in Egypt these see it as not only a taboo or a haram, no, they even see it as uh, as something that uh, criminal, as bad as committing a big crime. I would say it had to do with many things that is uh, all related to oppression, because yes, it was never a, a heaven for LGBTIQ plus individuals, but people existed. It used to have this idea of a cosmopolitan city, even cities, a little bit Cairo, a little bit Alexandria. Of course, this is uh, maybe 40, 50 years ago. But then also why this was happening, we have been like for the last, I don't know, 70 years, we've been a police, a policing country, which means that the, the governmental institution allows the citizens to police on one another and to interfere in one another's life and uh, that makes that makes living uh, impossible and it creates um, a lot of oppression on many levels not only from the the top hierarchy but it's even going through all the layers of the of the society right and obviously one can't relax at all because you don't really know who you can trust in such a situation yes yes indeed i mean uh, we used to think that Maybe when you have a passport, a good passport between practice, and that would be like, I don't know, American or a European passport then, uh, or England now, and that you are, that a person will be protected. But then we had um, incidents like the very famous uh, Giulio Regini case, a PhD scholar, and he disappeared and then his body found mutilated, thrown on a highway. So, so now there's no, there's no limit. One could not be living in peace. One should be always minding their their own business and not really interacting and not really relaxed and not uh, thinking or speaking politics or, or anything at all. Even actually with that, one could be arrested for any reason or disappearing for any reason. A lot has happened in Egypt in the past 10 years. In 2011, the revolution led to the fall of President Mubarak after 30 years. Mohamed Mursi took his place, but the relief didn't last long. In 2014, a military coup put the present president, al-Sisi, in charge. Since then, things have gotten worse for people in Egypt, especially for minorities like LGBTQI plus people. They are being harassed, detained and tortured, according to Human Rights Watch reports. Normally, these communities would need the support of civil society and NGOs. But Egypt's government has been repressing and criminalizing civic society activists and NGOs alike. In 2019, the increasing local and international pressure led to a supposedly progressive law which is said to improve the situation of non-government organizations. While prison penalties were removed from the new law, it maintains severe restrictions over the group's work. 
Did this new law change the overall situation? Bonobo told me their perspective on the current situation for NGOs in Egypt. Well, I'm not sure how people perceive what's going on in Egypt because Egyptian situation is not as clear as the Syrian situation or Iraqi or even Afghani situation. It's a little bit complicated in Egypt because if you ask about it, if you Google, you'll always find all these touristic pictures and touristic offers and it feels like, oh, let me just go and chill. But it's complicated. Actually, the, the situation in the civil society in Egypt is getting worse and worse and worse. A lot of friends and acquaintances uh, would be, they had to go through investigation for even doing some artistic work that is non-political, that has nothing to do with any taboo of any sort. The situation is not really getting better. It's just people getting more scared and also others are getting more tired and Uh, even knackered they just people are being imprisoned for no reason for not even uh, uh, legal persecution i mean it's it's very it's uh, it makes it makes my mouth very dry to speak about it Uh, egyptian situation is as bad as that in egypt two girls have been arrested and have been convicted for 10 years just because they had TikTok accounts, which is non-political. It's, with all my respect, it's really non-political. Nothing, it's just they go, they show up, they change their, their hairstyles and on some music, that's all. That could give you a glimpse of how uh, toxic the situation in Egypt is, is, is not as clear as everywhere, it's quite subtle. And then it's also fueled by fear, a great fear. We, we're, we're having new prisons being built every day. And if you ask anyone, we actually need more hospitals and schools. That would make much more sense. So it's, it's not really a pleasant situation. It's not even getting any better, actually. Uh, I remember after the coup, probably 2014, 2015, and after that, a lot of people wished for one day of the previous dictator Mubarak, uh, because even when he had all these uh, oppressive system and, and all, it, it was still much better than what is being lived now. Yeah, I mean, it's very sad. So in effect, that means that uh, civil society activists can't be drivers of change anymore. It goes under a lot of cost, huge big cost. It would be tiny change and it would be really far away from anything that has to do with society. Politics is everywhere in the society. It's Actually, no, they cannot anymore. Actually, they cannot. Okay, so how do they then connect and cooperate with activists, NGOs? I I mean, how how does that work? I think it works through uh, media or through, like, uh, secure internet online connection. It might also work through, um, like, development instead of changing anything that could be uh, regarded or perceived as political that could put the people who are working on it into a... like jeopardize their security and safety and all everyone now uh try to work on i don't know stuff that is that might be safe but even there even 
into that even this it's not it's not really safe to be working in civil society in Egypt trying to make change as uh, we used to think or at least as the revolution uh, started the principles that the revolution started for I mean this is not really feasible anymore You've sort of cancelled out my next question. Uh, I wanted to ask, what possibility do they have? But from your description, it sounds like there's no possibility to improve the situation. I don't think we have much possibilities. I think there are tiny, small windows to create small projects within the governmental umbrella, which is, which is, I think, something should be actually... It could be something amazing to be able to work with the government to make life better for everyone. I mean, this is something I'm not against. But in in terms of uh, a very oppressive government that is just fully putting its resources to building new prisons or um, creating new roads and bridges that is absolutely non-environmental and that is helping to create... Uh, uh, increase the environmental crisis that the earth is going through, uh, I don't think there's much could be done. And also it means agendas has to change to fit into this governmental interference. It's not like we can do this work together and then I can do my own work by myself. No, there is only one way to do it, which is together and it has to be under these conditions and uh, for these results and if not, I might disappear. Supporting civil society is also a great concern to IFA and its funding programs such as the Cross Culture Programme the Elizabeth Selbert Initiative, the Martin Hort Initiative, or the funding program Civic. Some of the ways IFA aims to strengthen civil society worldwide are by facilitating shelters for artists and human rights defenders at risk and organizing fellowships for committed volunteers. With its programs, IFA also supports NGOs with the planning and implementation of projects in conflict regions worldwide. In many of the program's target countries, LGBTQIA persons face serious danger. To shed some light on various issues LGBTQIA activists face around the globe, a number of IFA's program alumni worked on a publication titled Gender and Diversity that was published last year. If you want to learn more about that, have a look on IFA's website. But back to Egypt. If we look a bit further back in the history of Egypt, we can't get past the period of colonialism. Egypt was never a colony, but nonetheless, during that period of time, Egypt was strongly influenced by the British in the 19th century. The British occupation was the starting point for the rejection of non-heteronormative identities and practices in Egypt, which had been widely accepted before. After the British Empire's physical presence left the Egyptian state, its colonial era penal codes, specifically its sodomy laws, remained. The Egyptian constitution was also influenced by Napoleon's criminal code, which criminalized same-sex relations as well. These laws from Europe transitioned into Egypt's constitution, 
pushing a whole group of people to the margins of society and changing the way society saw them. We've heard before that homosexuality is not technically illegal, but the perspective on it was profoundly altered in colonial times. Bonobo explained to me what a starting point to decolonize this belief system could be. In my opinion, to start with is the law. The law that does not criminalize LGBT, but then it has all these conditions to make it a little bit harder for people to exist. It was a French law. And uh, we had a lot of stories where I wouldn't say it was legal or it was okay to be an individual under this umbrella of the LGBTIQ+, but it was tolerated. Like such individuals existed within the community and they were left alone. Actually, they even sometimes would be trustworthy. And that disappeared with the colonization and changing of the law, either the French or the British. So that, like, I think that that would be like one start regarding this. Also, with the years, it would be accepted to look a certain way, to belong to a certain class, to belong to a, a specific background and then one could be tolerated regardless of their sexual orientation as long as they don't speak about it. And here you see the intersectionality of, of course, race and class, gender. And in terms of sex education, how important is the decolonial and post-colonial perspective there? I know that we just have really few schools that is like private schools where parents have to, to pay a huge amount of money for the children to be able to know about that. But even though knowing about that, it is being done under uh, or within the conservatism of the society and the religion. Uh, most of the Egyptians are Muslim or practicing Muslim. It's quite difficult, to be honest. I mean, people do not really perceive uh, sex education as something essential. It's still, and I believe in most of the world it is, but maybe now we can see some changes happening here or there. Most of the people still think that it is a great taboo, that is uh, something that even if you know a little bit about in school, you should never repeat or consider. You always have to do it under a certain way. And, and honestly, in my very humble opinion, humanity would really evolve through knowing more about their sexuality. I mean, this is absolutely the key. It's going to take us from all this violence into somewhere else, into the evolution, I would say. But definitely, these are my uh, personal opinions. And within Egypt, uh, it is not really promising. Although younger generations, like uh, millennials and all, they are getting somewhere. Uh, they question stuff. They, they, they discuss stuff. Of course, they... Like, they do not just let go. They need to understand why and what, for what reason. Looking at the interferences the West made during colonial times, one could take that for a reason to engage in helping these areas today. And awareness for LGBTQIA rights as part of a foreign policy is at least growing. Earlier this year, the German Federal Foreign Office based its LGBTI inclusion strategy in foreign policy and development cooperation. With this, they state 
LGBTQIA plus people will consistently be taken into account in foreign policy and development cooperation. As an especially vulnerable minority, there should be more emphasis on ensuring their human rights. It's not only the UN Human Rights Council that has been active in and around Egypt, but also European and German NGOs and cultural institutions such as IFA. I asked Bonobo what kind of projects are needed from such entities and how can those institutions help strengthen the LGBTQIA community? This is a very interesting question. There was a great project with Gorton Institute. It was trying to um, get the Wikipedia to into a, a Arabic or even Egyptian, like colloquial Egyptian, and to speak about gender. And that was the big, great uh, umbrella. But then under that, there was a lot of stuff about sexuality also and about homosexuality and queerness and feminism uh, and other very interesting stuff. And this is, of course, one of many projects that had the uh, surface of a cultural uh, or artistic uh, uh, appearance, but within it, within uh, the depth of it, it has uh, much more than that. And uh, it also attracted a lot of individuals because one could be part of the project even from their own homes. They could have a, um, a password, an account, and they could edit and add and do stuff very, very uh, safe to, to start with, a very safe space, uh, respecting the anonymity of individuals and also very promising. You've actually left the country. Uh, did you find possibilities of doing human rights and especially LGBTQIA plus rights work since? I think I was quite lucky because I was introduced to a couple of NGOs or collectives uh, that do queer or LGBTIQ work. Uh, and it even includes the intersectionality of race and color uh, as in black, indigenous and people of color, which is something that is essential for the work. I felt uh, there's a lot of potential. I think also part of the extension of the work in human rights is well-being. And I recall uh, Audrey Lord's quote about the importance of uh, well-being and not considering it as a luxury. Actually, it is political. Um, it's an act of, of being political. As I said at the very beginning, Trans Awareness Week is taking place from the 13th to the 19th of November leading up to the Transgender Day of Remembrance on the 20th of November. This Remembrance Day was established in 1999, initially to remember the death of the black trans woman Rita Hester. She was murdered in her apartment and the case has never been solved. By now, there are numerous international events and activities to raise awareness for the situation of trans people and remember those who have lost their lives. I asked Bonobo what Trans Awareness Week means to them. 
As a person who really does not believe in the binaries of the of the gender, as a person who believes in the spectrum of the of the gender and specifically uh, the ability and the accessibility to live in a body that feels uh, safe, uh, it means a lot. It also means a lot on a personal level because I myself don't necessarily identify with a certain gender. I also have had many uh, friends and colleagues and lovers who did not identify in a gender or even were trans. So I think it's quite essential to have focus on this, not only here, but hopefully one day in the world where, where, where such a matter could be considered as just a norm, not to be a taboo and not to hear all this violence that is going through uh, the trans and non-binary communities. The constant fight of civil society organisations and activists has already changed the situation of LGBTQIA plus rights in many ways. Some of them tiny, some bigger, all of them significant. But talking to Bonobos shows we still have a long way to go. And in some places, LGBTQIA plus rights even seem to have been moving backwards. If activists have to choose between their sexual identity and their life, freedom and safety, things are far from being okay. Next month, in the upcoming German episode of Die Kulturmittler, we will talk about another global challenge, the climate crisis and its consequences on migration worldwide. For any suggestions, critique and wishes, feel welcome to email us at podcast at My name's Dan Wesker. Thanks for listening and take care. Die Kulturmittler, der IFA-Podcast zu Außenkulturpolitik.